0: Dip the devil's toenails in the Arda chalice, you poolside Julian's. Welcome to the Blind Boy podcast. I hope you've all been exercising self-compassion, and not being too hard on yourself, and accepting the inevitable pain and suffering of human existence. Um. So, yeah. What's the crack? This week, I've got a special podcast planned for you this week. Um, Firstly, what's been going on with me? So last week, if you listened last week, you'll know that I made a promise. And the promise was that I would have done some live streaming by now. Which is true, I have. I've been live streaming all week, alright? But what I haven't done is I haven't told anybody where I'm live streaming. Or what time I'm live streaming. So I've been doing practice runs to a very small audience. Been live streaming a bit of uh, Red Dead Redemption. And I did some Streets of Rage. Old school video gaming. And mainly I'm doing it, I'm doing it to, to work out some bugs. To try and see what's going to go wrong. And once I have everything sorted then I'll tell you all when I'm live streaming and where I'm live streaming. A very important piece of equipment is arriving to me in the morning. It is the final piece of the puzzle of my live streaming setup. So I'm gonna keep ye updated. Keep an eye on my Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Alright Twitter at rubber bandits. Instagram at rubber bandits official and then Facebook rubber bandits. There you go. Um I something very something very heartwarming and inspiring. Happened this week, and because of this, th- th- this heartwarming and inspiring thing is going to influence what this week's podcast is about and why I'm choosing um, the topic of this week's podcast. So, the coronavirus crisis in America, in, in particular, is, is a big giant shit show. Um, the Americans, uh, the, the, the American government, aren't handling coronavirus in a particularly compassionate or responsible way it's overwhelmingly affecting the most marginalised communities of course in America and in particular one of the most marginalised communities in America is Native American people and uh, the Navajo people in particular are dying in huge numbers because of coronavirus and because of lack of access to healthcare So the Navajo and Hopi families have a COVID-19 relief fund which they put up on GoFundMe to raise, I believe it was $1.5 million to try and assist their community in fighting COVID-19 coronavirus. And from the darkness of something like that, um, a thing really beautiful happened in the past week which is not only have they reached their goal of 1.5 million they're now up to nearly 2.5 million and the goal has been raised to 3 million to, to save the lives of the Navajo community of Native American people and one of the reasons that their GoFundMe is so successful is because of Irish people. This GoFundMe page started to go viral during the week. Everybody was sharing it and donating. I shared and donated myself. And if you look at the GoFundMe page, you'll see that 90% of the comments are all from they're all Irish names. And the reason that us in Ireland are overwhelmingly donating. To the Navajo people, is because there's this thing, and I, most Irish people grow up with this. I grew up with it too, and it's been confirmed historically recently. But I grew up. My dad would say to me when I was a, when I was a kid, and when my dad would speak to me about the the famine, our our famine in Ireland, which we had in the eighteen forties, uh, famine slash genocide, whatever you want to call it, but four million Irish people uh, gone half our population gone as a result of because of the Brits I'm blaming the Brits you can disagree if you want alright but during our famine which cut the Irish population in half one story I always grew up with is my dad would say to me do you know that during the Irish famine when everybody was starving And when the British were not only making it far worse by exporting all of our food, they were refusing to give any help or assistance whatsoever. That during all of this, the only people that gave the Irish people assistance were a small community of Native Americans who donated money and grain. And I grew up with this story, not knowing was it like, is this true or not? And then history now comes out and says, in the past 20, 30 years, is like, yes, this was true. The Choctaw people, Native American uh, people, the Choctaw, who were up, I think they're around Florida, Louisiana, they donated to the Irish people at the time $170, which would be the equivalent of $5,000 today. Because in 1847, the Choctaw nation, they had just gone through a thing called the Trail of Tears where they were pushed from their lands and had to relocate and the Choctaw Native Americans heard the story of the Irish people and the famine and these this is you know a hugely marginalised people with nothing driven from their fucking lands with you know being sent somewhere else everything taken from them and these poor people in 1847 decided do you know what we're going to gonna get what little we have and we're going to give it to the Irish people. While the Brits did fucking nothing. While the great British Empire at the height, like 1840s was the height of the British Empire and wealth. Who did not give us anything because they wanted to see us die and starve so they could take the land. And the reason that when you go to this GoFundMe page today. ...to help the Navajo people through the coronavirus crisis. It's all Irish people. Donating five quid, donating a hundred quid... ...and everyone writing beautiful messages. I'll just read you out a couple of the messages... ...that I'm seeing on the GoFundMe page. Uh, Darmot wrote... At Ireland's time of need during the great hunger of the 1840s... ...Native American people donated to the famine relief effort... ...even though they themselves were still given in hardship... Their generosity will never be forgotten. Alan wrote... When Ireland was in need... You understood what solidarity really looked like. So the whole... GoFundMe page... Is just overwhelmed... With this generosity of... Irish people. Kind of... Helping Native American people... At their time of need... And remembering our... Ancestors... 170 fucking years ago. And... It's just beautiful. It's just a lovely outpouring of compassion and love and generosity. And at a time where, I mean, one of the one tenet of Irishness is our spirit of of, of generosity and friendliness. That's that's a tenet of Irishness. And sometimes you fear that it leaves us. You know, as we move from being a country that is historically oppressed, we've always been historically oppressed, we've always been under the boot, but, you know, the past 50 years, that's changed. And now in 2020, we, we, you know, we've got direct provision. We are the oppressor. We've got direct provision. We've got fucking emergency accommodation. We've got... uh, our, our role in government is, is managed to turn misery into a product that it can milk for private profits. You know So we, we are now living as oppressors. So you fear that you lose this Irish compassion, the kind of the compassion that binds us all. But this gesture, it's just lovely to see. It's just one of those things that gives it gives me hope. It gives me fucking hope that it's like. Don't forget our history. What good are we as Irish people? What's the point of 800 years of fucking oppression, lads? If you can't use that to be an ally and to assist other people that are currently being marginalized and oppressed. You, you have to fucking hang on to that. Or else you yourself become the oppressor. Do you know what I mean? So it's just a lovely thing and I had to give it a shout out on the podcast lads and if you want to go to the GoFundMe page um, you just go to go, GoFundMe and look for the Navajo and Hopi Families COVID-19 Relief Fund and donate some money to help indigenous American people And do it for your fucking ancestors That were starving in the famine You know what I mean So I just thought I'd give that a little mention And also again Don't forget lads, look, direct provision We must end direct provision And also people in direct provision Are suffering right now Under coronavirus, so Massey Asylum M-A-S-I Asylum is a very good charity To support To help people in direct provision right now so this week's podcast is inspired by the reinvigorated and hopeful feeling that that mass act of generosity has has given me. Um, like I said, it's, it's the part of me that goes, we haven't forgotten who we are. We haven't forgotten who we are. Capitalism hasn't completely erased our generosity as as a as a people, you know. So this week I, I'm speaking to a man called Eddie Lenahan who is a Shanakey. A shanka a shankey we'll say which is the it's the anglicised version of it. Shanaky but a shanaky is a storyteller. It's, it's within the Irish oral tradition. A Shanachie was someone who had an incredibly important role within culture and society as the person who passed on histories and stories and folklore and laws. And the Shanachie or the Shancaha was a hugely important person in Gaelic society who was looked up to and they were the keeper of knowledge. Within an oral tradition. And after the Brits successfully managed to eradicate, we we'll say, Gaelic culture, Shancaha, Shanakis still existed. And Eddie Lenahan is a Shanachie. He is someone who collects old stories, has been doing it for many, many years. And we speak about some Irish history, we speak about fairies. We speak about leprechauns. We speak about folklore. And Eddie is a direct source. Eddie has spent many years collecting these stories from, as he says himself, older people. He collects older stories. It's ours, lads. He's a Shankah. It's a unique Irish storytelling tradition that's ours and no one else's. And it's pre- British rule, British colonisation it's uniquely intertwined into who we are as a fucking people the Shanachie, the storytelling tradition the the reason why some of the best fucking literature in the world, even though it's written in the English language is Irish literature alright, for a tiny country we punch far above our weight in the world of English literature because we come from the oral storytelling tradition and that's ours and no amount of penal laws or brutality or violence or famines took that away from us so that's what that's what this week's podcast is me chatting to Eddie Lenahan to Sian Kaha to Sian Ake. Um first off thanks a million for doing this right i've been really looking forward to hearing your talk Thank um you the other thing too is we because i'm recording this it's going to go out to an international audience so there's a few like real basic things that i'd like to ask you that this audience might know but an international audience wouldn't firstly w- what is a shana you know, uh
1: Do you know Who has been, I suppose, uh, I won't say studying, is the wrong word. It's the wrong word. Uh, somebody who, who knows a bit about Shanachas. Knows a bit about what? Bit. Shan, old. Shanakhas, things that are old. And I have been listening to old people for the last 43 years. So they're my teachers, they have been my teachers. And a lot of these old people, they might not have had formal education but by god they were a lot more educated than people with degrees nowadays I'd have to say that awful lot of them most of them not all had common sense (laughs) because as one old man said to me one time if you're stupid at 20 you're going to be stupid at 90 (laughs) (laughs) and uh, he was probably right he was probably right because common sense is the one thing you can't teach you can teach most other things, but you can't teach common sense. L- look at our governments. Yeah. Down the years. <laughs> uh, there haven't been too much commonsensical people in a lot of them. Some, some, yes. But a lot, lot, lot of them, mm, you'd, you'd, in all walks of life. In all walks of life. Maybe ourselves included. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, in all walks of life, common sense is lacking. I think... Um, Look at the flooding nowadays. Yeah, flooding will always happen, but what do you do about it? People. Yeah, people contribute. We won't go into that, though. We won't. We can go. if we sorry, want. Sorry, sorry. You're the man. You're giving the leads tonight.
0: Um, one thing. At what point in your life, Eddie, did you decide to start, as you say, listening to all people, collecting stories, collecting traditions?
1: When did you know this was something you wanted to do? I never did. I never did, but you see, my father was a harness maker in a place called Brosna in County Kerry. (laughs) And Brosna, by the way, and I think there's one or two people here tonight, (laughs) Ireland is a small country, you can never, I won't be saying too many bad things, (laughs) (laughs) because bad things as you probably know from where you come from, uh, they always come around. uh, (laughs) There's a come around uh, in Ireland always, but that applies good as well as bad, and middling too, so it's better not to be too controversial. But I come from a place called Brosna, and people often ask me, but where's that? Uh, it's exactly where Kerry, Cork, and Limerick meet. On one side of the border, on the Kerry side, you have Brosna. On the other side of the River Fail, vale, you have Mount Collins in Limerick, and up the road in Cork, you have Rock Chapel. So the three counties meet thereabouts. But my father was a harness maker, as my uncle was, as my grandfather was. What's a was. harness
0: maker, Eddie? Is that for horses? Then, exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah. Tractors, the coming of tractors destroyed that trade, just as the coming of tractors destroyed the trade of blacksmith and wheelmaker and so many other, so many other trades. But my father, he pointed out, and I'll shorten the story. We don't want to bore people. But he pointed out an old man to me once. Uh, I, I was in UCG. And I was studying phonetics of all kinds. Yeah, a <laughs> but people should, never, people should never get in the way of their children when they send them to college. Yeah. And end up the children say, God almighty, what the hell are you studying that for? Phonetics because is the study of how things are pronounced. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But it has stood me in great stead down the years, that study. I had, I had a professor, God rest the man, he lived to be 95. And people were saying, "Jeez, oh, he's still wandering around the streets of Galway, muttering to himself. But he was a great man. And <laughs> I got my MA from him in phonetics. But not from him. Jeez, he used me as his slave. Going around. <laughs> but, but he was one of the best. He was one of the best. And you know something? It's only in, re- in later years you appreciate when somebody makes you do something right yeah. right, and tells you there is no in-between. And says only in later life you appreciate that. He, and, and in phonetics there's no, there's no in-between. You're either right or wrong. It's like maths. It's yeah. like maths. And it took me five years to get my MA. <laughs> but it was 400 and something pages. I look at MAs today and this, that, and the other thing, and, you know, you blow them away in the wind. They're giving them out like, out of like a book of tickets, you know. They're yeah. <laughs> yeah they're, they're if and, you can pay course, for it. They're worthless. Yeah. They're worthless because now you need a PhD. And my son, who, who has done one and the other fella's doing one, uh, you now need a post-PhD to get not a job but a contract yeah education has become so 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 devalued and they still have to work as hard as ever yeah. And look at the rents they're paying look at the, how much does it cost parents now to keep their children in college it in would Cork break. last week uh
0: student accommodation is a thousand euro a month
1: absolutely you saw it on television or a thousand a week sorry Oh, oh, well, it is a a month, yeah, it is, you're right, it is a month. But it's breaking parents, and at the end of all, they may not get a job. Yeah. No, as I said, I was doing that in phonetics, and my father... Can I ask you a phonetics
0: question, Eddie? Yeah. Uh, Just, uh, why do Cork people talk the way they talk? More or less. (laughs) No, like, seriously, like...
1: (laughs) They talk like... Because I
0: always say, Cork people they sound like a Limerick person who's after receiving a bit of good news. <laughs> can, you, can you explain to me, uh, did you ever come to, why, why do Cork people, <laughs> and Kerry to an extent, why is there a song in how they speak?
1: Well, you think Limerick people ever got good news after 40 how many years? Was no, we don't get good news in Limerick, <laughs> we don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, there's Limerick stories, and we won't go into that. <laughs> I won't go into that because. Um, mm. But it's, I suppose it has to do with the intonation. The intonation, you know, the, there's this quite high, you know, they speak a little bit above the intonation of other people. Uh, it's different in every part of the country. Has everyone, anyone ever come
0: to figure out a reason, though? It, what causes intonation? Would it be in, weather? Kerry,
1: in Kerry, where I come from, you know, they, they pronounce like the Heliar rays doing you or know, the yeah. shh. Stop and start and distance. You can't learn that because when you hear people outside of that, there's a particular combination of um, S H T and uh, Schnell and Stadt. There's uh, that's when you hear people who never grew up with that, trying to pronounce, they'll always get the combinations wrong. There's Schnipe, there's Stadt, S H T, S H N. you grow with that and you you learn that by. Mm, by learning it. And if you try to pronounce that a person from Kerry, or from other places too, you know, it's not just Kerry, that would laugh at you, because you, that's a, that person is pronouncing it wrong. Yeah, wrong. yeah, yeah. You know, it's as simple as that. Now, this, sh- when I, co- I come from Brosna and there's a few people here around coming from close by in the audience tonight. And I can't see you because there's a glare in my glasses. And it's just as well. But Brusna, <laughs> <laughs> But I can hear you. I can hear you. And, and I'll, I'll always know a person that's not from Brusna, Because I would pronounce it Brusna, And an outsider will call it Brosna. Yeah. Immediately, there you go. And the older generation would, would, have, would have called it Bresna. So mm-hmm. there's three pronunciations of the one place. Bresna. Broshna Brasna <laughs> of the one one place, so you'll always recognize a person who is an outsider, a younger generation, or one of the older generation. Now, Knocknagashel, where well, the terrible thing took place during the civil war, uh, the mine that blew up the civil, uh, the, the Free State soldiers that led to Ballyseedy, yeah, that terrible, terrible thing. Well, now the older generation, you should call that the Mal. Modern people call it Knocknagashel, and some of the older people used to call it Mount Cashel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, Ireland is a—it's—it's it's, it's a maze. So how could an English person ever manage?
0: Ah, uh, they haven't. Yeah, but the British just came in and decided to call things. what they wanted to based on how they heard people saying it, didn't they? I wouldn't
1: they? have a clue.
0: And that's in English. How yeah. they
1: manage it in Irish? Yeah. Oh it's a maze.
0: And so when you were a kid and your dad was a harness maker, because uh, I interrupted you, he pointed at an old man, you said.
1: To start, and that's what started me, because... He said, po- he said, go and talk to that man. Because I hadn't a clue who they were. I had no notion who the older generation were, but you see, uh, as in a blacksmith's forge, the farmers used to gather to get their harness or, or their horses shod or whatever, and they'd be talking. Okay. And in a, in a harness maker's shop, farmers are always the same, they want the job done now. They want the job done now. And they'd left the whole harness go rotten. Uh, you know, but they want it fixed now when the season would come for getting things done and oh Jesus I remember it having all straddles to be to be fixed and I used to get the job sometimes of teasing out the horse hair because a lot of them would made a horse hair that time and maggots coming out of the goddamn thing it was a what? job I still remember maggots you know had to be resting on the horse's back all the straddle there'd uh, be maggots uh, on a fucking harness yes yes oh for, for, they, for sake. what, what would they want to be eaten they'd want to be e- no no but where you'd be teasing out the hair so that it could be used again in another replacement yeah, for yeah, the straddle yeah. where my father would be lining it and all the rest of it and you'd be now these would be farmers who weren't very tidy but that would have left the thing go too too long and i remember i can still remember the bloody maggots inside and the thing no, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, those are things you don't forget but in any case this uh, this man that I was sent to, Jack Leahy, a wonderful man. He was in his 90s when I was sent to him. and he, Oh, he was a great help. He was, he was the man that I interviewed first, and I still have the recordings of him. He's Jack would be 130 if he was alive now. But he had a brother who died in the First World War. And the story of him was that they lived in a poor place, up in a place called Koshle, And it was only a bear farm. And the landlords that time, their trick was, they'd give you a farm Mm -hmm. and then reclaim it at a very low rent. Reclaim it, an old heathery mountain. And when you'd have that reclaimed, pick and shovel, they'd claim it then, raise the rent. You couldn't pay that. You'd be a poor person. But that'd give you another twenty or thirty acres and you'd have to start all over again. It was a low way of doing things, but what choice did you have? Mm-hmm. No choice, because you hadn't the fare to go to America. So the son, Jack's brother, he got sick of this and he said to hell with it, I'm going. And one night he went into Brosna with a few pennies he had saved. Now this was in nineteen sixteen, the year of the rising. But they knew nothing about the rising. People were, you know, confined to their own little place that time. There was no electricity, there was there was maybe telegraphs in towns. They were living in the wilderness. He had saved a few pennies. He went into Brusner. He got drunk, I suppose in two or three pints, because he wasn't used to it. He didn't go home that night. He slept in a hay barn, and in the morning he went up to the barracks, RIC that time, and the sergeant, decent man. Jack named him for me, and I checked it out afterwards, and he was right. He was the, ba- the the barrack sergeant at the time, and he told him, shag off home, fuck off home, your father needs you, mm-hmm. and he didn't. Some one of the smart Daleks in Brushner said to him, if you go back three times, he'll have to give you the forums for joining up. That night, he borrowed a few more pence and got, I won't say, drunk that time. He slept in the hair barn again, didn't go home, and went up the following morning again, Sergeant told him the same thing. Go home. Go out, Go home. I'll give you nothing. And he didn't. Slept that night in the Haybaden again in Brushner. Went back the following morning. Sergeant had to give him the forums to join up. B- British Army, of course, that time. He couldn't read or write. All he could do was make his mark. Mm-hmm. And he, he, I suppose he borrowed the price of the train below an Abbeyfield, got the train back to Tralee, into Ballymullen Barracks, and did his basic training there. Now, but before that started, he hadn't gone home. The parents wondered where and the name of God is after three days. They came to brushna inquired up to the barracks. The sergeant told them, Jesus Christ, what's he going to do there? And the sergeant said, you better get him out. Look could, 1916, what was going on in France that time, in the middle mm-hmm. of the First World War, Flanders and all thousands being killed. And they went back with that horse and car to Tralee, I suppose five hours drive, but the father knew a councillor in, in Cashel Island. The councillor signed an old letter to get him out. They arrived back at Ballymullen Barracks and fair dues to the officer, fair dues the English army officer came out, saw the letter, brought out the boy, and said, look, your father is here, do you want to go home? He wouldn't go home. He wanted to see you the world. Yeah. They could do nothing. Anyway, he finished his basic training in Tralee. He got a couple of days' leave, and the sergeant said, Fair deuce to the old RIC sergeant, look, he said, get rid of him. Send him out to the wilds of County Cork to friends or something, and we'll have to look for him, but we won't, look too, we won't look too severe. But no, he would not go. He was sent back to Tralee, he was sent on to England. And they got 10 days leave before they were sent to France. And again, the sergeant said, get rid of him. Send him somewhere some No. He was sent back. He was sent to France. And he fought in France. And I have some of his letters. I have some of the letters that he wrote. And there were pathetic letters that he'd be home. He was saving his money and he'd buy a couple of bullocks when he innocent letters from a poor little country boy, you know, he was only 18 or 19 at the time. uh, And, you know, he had seen a bit of other things too, fellas killed and all the Mm -hmm. rest of it. But he was coming home. He never came home. He was killed in October 1918, one month before the Armistice. And Jack, the man who told me uh, all about him, 70, 60, 70 years later, this was in 1976, he never forgave the boys in Brosna who told him about going up to the barrack Mm -hmm. three times to get that bloody, what would I call it, the form for for enlistment. Now, of course, you can't blame them entirely because he wanted to go. He wanted to see the world. And, Eddie, you recorded
0: conversations with this man.
1: Oh, God, So, like,
0: uh, when did you start realising... Speaking to people is something I need to start recording because I'm guessing this is what the
1: 1960s, 70s, mid 1970s.
0: And w- when did you, when did you, like what, what, what was going on in your head that you're going? I'm going to record this conversation. Something uh, about this person needs to be preserved.
1: I realized that here is something because I knew nothing about this. You see, I went in there to record phonetics, and here I thought, fo- holy Christ, oh, here is something. Were you trying I to
0: uh, preserve uh, dialects and languages, or w- w- was that the interest, or?
1: That was my first thing, job to do. But then I realised that here is a world that I know nothing about. A whole world that, that was two generations behind me, you see. that I kn- This man, he remembered the Boer War. Yeah. Of 1899, 1902. Now, if you said that to someone today, if you said that about the First World War today, which is 103 years ago, they're all dead and gone. The Second World War, to what I have been here, is just yesterday. And yeah. And that's 70 years ago. That's 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. I have thousands and thousands and thousands of hours recorded in my own house. A huge archive. There's a 50 books in it.
0: There's a, a, a lot of questions I got asked, actually, Eddie, for you was, do you have any intentions of re- releasing all the recordings you have of people? Um, I, I mean, I, I, what, would be, what would happen now if there was a, a fire in the room where you have all the recordings? <laughs> like the, do you give them to the National Archives? Or they?
1: I don't know what... I have have one son in Germany who might be interested. (laughs) And I'll tell you the reason why is because he has tried. He has done his PhD in Germany. And he was interested enough to try to find German soldiers who were engaged in the Eastern Front. Mm-hmm. In Germany, and that was one tough, tough. It destroyed the German army yeah. fighting against the Russians in the Eastern Front, the Ost Front.
0: Oh, there were so many of them died; it was hard to find After any.
1: it Destroyed the German wow. army, and he found it very, very hard to get them to talk when he did meet them, because they had seen such awful, awful, awful things on the Eastern Front. Um, anybody who knows about it and has read about it will will realise. What it was like. I mean, the Western Front in in the First World War was bad, but the Eastern Front in the Second World War, you know, with the massacres Mm -hmm. of Jews and all the rest of it and the concentration camps. But the fight against the Russians and the Russians against the Germans it beggars belief. It beggars belief. And he could he could hardly get them to talk until he got to know some of them because he does have German and good German. And eventually he got someone to talk and he said it would it would leave you paralyzed the things they told him it was awful awful a touch of our civil war here because in my next book now that will be coming up military memories
0: that's what i meant to ask you about eddie and and have you ever found because you were speaking to people that were involved in the irish civil war and also the war of independence yes when you were speaking to these people did you ever find difficulty like that, where they're trying to bring up memories that are actually traumatic, and then you end up with difficulty within your role.
1: An old woman in Kerry, she had died two or two years ago. She was 101. She said to me that when she was a girl, and remember now at that time during the Civil War, everybody was on edge. Because when law and order breaks down, I tell you, <coughs> you're, you're, you're in big trouble. Mind the romantic thing. What, you what do you
0: mean by that now, Eddie? The next
1: knock at your door at night could be somebody who has a grudge against you. But what was, when you're
0: describing law and order breaking down in the Irish Civil War, like what, what did that look like? What do you mean? There was, there was no police? or
1: uh, Yes. When, when, I, tell you, every, I think everybody was relieved when the guards were founded yeah. in 1920, I think, six. No, nobody expected them to succeed. So there was a
0: period of lawlessness in Absolutely. Ireland.
1: Absolutely, between wow. we'll nineteen nineteen and nineteen twenty six. Jesus, everybody was in charge and nobody was in charge. When the wow. RIC went out and between that and the guards came in, uh, I mean, we'll say if somebody had a grudge against you over land, you were dead. You could be dead. And it might all be done under the, the, the guise of for the republic or for the whatever or for the what. We'd, we'd, lots of schools were settled at that time. And very often nobody knew why. Mm-hmm. And nobody dared mention why. Dared mention why. This old woman, as I'm saying, she told me a, a horrible story and she saw it herself. She said to me, she was only a young girl at the time. And Like I said, everybody was on edge, because you never knew what was coming next. But this particular morning, there were farmers, and they went out to milk the cows, simple as that. And they heard the dog, 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 scratching, scratching, scratching at the back gate. I suppose it was an old corrugated iron gate. And the father, he went out to see what was the matter. And there was the dog, (laughs) with a man's boot and the shin bone sticking up out of it. There had been a landmine the night before and somebody obviously blown to pieces. And here was the dog back, you know, pleased, pleased with himself bringing back a a present for the people of the house. Now, she never, ever forgot that in all of her life. A little girl to see a horrible thing like that. Now, that's what happened in, for example, the the landmine at Nogoshal which mm-hmm. was a, a part of the parish of where I come from, Brosna and Nakhnogoshal were the same parish at the time. And they said that the mine that blew up those Free State soldiers, which led to Ballyseedy, where the Republican prisoners were blown up, 11 yeah. of them by the Free State Army, w- that mine was made in Brosna. You know, these things, when they come out, you know, you begin to say, oh, my God. How how, how do we never hear about all of yeah. this when we were being schooled? How and you can see why everybody just wanted to forget about these goddamn horrible things. The only place I was ever told to fuck off mm-hmm. when I brought up any of these subjects was in Kerry, my own place, because the the the, the, the memories were so vile and so violent, and you can understand that. Mm-hmm. And that's oh, hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, it'll be four, in four years' time. Yeah, these things don't go away. So that's why I always say that: look at the Middle East, look at what that's doing to children today, know, and yeah. little children. Yeah, they'll remember that for years, uh, and just like in the North. Yeah, look at the things those children saw. How, yeah. how, how, will they forget? No, no, no. Children should never see those things. That's why adults have so much to answer for and no cause, no cause justifies those things I don't care whether it's political or whether it's religious or whatever and religion, religions of all kinds be they Muslim or Christian or Judaic or whatever they're supposed to be something of peace Yeah. and by God so often they're not yeah. they're used as an excuse for people's own violence and I often say that's why I, I admire my dog so much <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it is It is. My When I go home, my, my dog Dolly, <laughs> she's a Tibetan She's a t- Tibetan uh, uh, Terrier, my, well. she'll be out at the door To me with a present, something stupid In her mouth, it might be a golf ball Or, or my wife's shoe or, or or something, she'll be there uh, Now she knows, she'll get a reward But, you know Dogs are a lovely animal And yeah. uh, treat them nice, of course and children, of course, are the same. Treat them nice and they'll behave. Treat them like dirt and you know the well, they'll behave.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So we have a lot to answer for in some ways. In some ways. Um. I'll tell you, and, and part of that is I walk up and down the streets of this town every, every other day. And I used to teach. I used to teach and taught for many, many years. I wouldn't like to be teaching now. Because I can see some, at lunchtime especially, and I can see a uh, lot of the children coming out for lunch. And the way they mock people. A couple, a couple of times there, uh, I don't mind being called Santa Claus because of the beard. <laughs> but one little thug caught me by the beard there one day and pulled. Well, I hit him a slap. <laughs> <laughs> and. And and, and it, I saw the look of surprise on his face. He was trying to be a little tough, manine in yeah. front of his friends. Um,
0: I want to bring up the. You made national headlines when it, it around the time of uh, there was a tree. Didn't are, are you? Weren't you responsible for a motorway being rerouted because you alerted the developers to the fact that they were trying to build a tree over a, build a motorway over a fairy
1: tree? That hasn't gone away, by the way. That very same uh, thing on that same motorway. I,
0: I, I, can you tell us about it? Can you give us some background?
1: Well, I'll tell you a more modern version. I'll tell you that in a minute, if you like. Okay. There's a book. No. There's a book, a very interesting one, being launched on the 6th of March. Uh, the name of it is Men Who Eat uh, Ringforts. <laughs> Men Who Eat Ringforts. And it's about the same M18 motorway, but further up along the line towards Gort. Because when they were building the same motorway, they chopped a ring fort just across the Galway border in the townland of Cortan, mm-hmm. C-U-R-T-I-U-N. And very oddly, since that was done, there have been accidents after accidents after accidents, to an amazing degree, at that point. And quite often, the, the carriageways of the motorway have been closed at that point. Now, The people who wrote this book came to me asking for whatever, and to point out other places where uh, ring forts have been chopped in the building of roads, and we we went around and had a look at quite a few of those, but that one was spectacular in the sense that that was a new building of the, the, the roadway there. And under this Freedom of Information Act, they got the statistics about that place, well, the list of, 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 of accidents at that place. And all caused by freak showers of hailstones at that place. Wow. Now, you ask yourself, uh, look, I'm a believer in coincidence as much as anybody else. And maybe two, co- or three, co- or four coincidences. But when it happens again and again and dozens of times, you begin to ask yourself, um is there something happening here that shouldn't happen? Now, of course, they got beautiful shots from uh, drones and all just to show how the fort had been chopped. If these things happen, um, why?
0: C- Eddie, could you tell us, just for the listeners that don't know, what is a ring fort? What is a fairy fort?
1: A, a ring fort, by an archaeological uh, description, would have been a place where people lived in the Middle Ages. Ringfort stopped being built around the year 1200 or thereabouts. Uh, people uh, who study these don't quite know exactly why that is the case, but they stopped being built around the year 1200. And with the, with the seize, seizing of them being built, of course, after that, people, they, the people w- wondered, well, well, what are these things? In the le- in the next five six hundred years, because they, they would have just been bumps. Yes, they were. There. Well, they're not. They're, they're circles with a bank of earth around them, okay, yeah. and bushes growing up around off of that bank of earth, mainly white thorn bushes, which are the ones associated with the fairies, always, not black thorn bushes, but white thorn bushes, and people obviously believed in the fairies. Down through the centuries, because then when they couldn't explain what these things were, since they were no longer being used, people, well, they associated with, them, with the fairies. Yeah. And that's the reason why so many of them survive, more than anywhere else. because People, people would wouldn't scared, touch them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> leave them be, since we don't rightly know what they are. They may belong to the good people, let them be. But nowadays since fairy belief has begun to decline and big machinery is there, well a big machine you'll you'll have ploughed up and destroyed one of these in five minutes. Whereas if you had to destroy this with a pick and shovel and a spade, you had plenty of time to be thinking what might happen to you as a result. So um just yeah. better be safe than sorry. And
0: Eddie, tell us about the so that i think i saw that the particular bush i think i saw it today on the, on the way from limerick to here tell us about what you, you didn't you try and stop the road being built or you try, you, you wanted the road to be built a different way
1: I, I what, what was your
0: rationale like what, what was this superstition or were you trying to preserve something that was important or what's your thinking
1: it's not superstition at all superstition if you call i always said if you if you call belief in the fairies superstition well belief in god is superstition yeah. too it has to be so because belief in god is of in the other worldly, belief in the fairies is in the other worldly now i'm not mocking and i wouldn't mock belief in god because people are sincere in that but and eddie you believe in fairies i'd always keep a corner of my mind open yeah I would, because I've listened to too many people over 43 years. People who weren't stupid, people you wouldn't frighten easily, people who were out at all times of night. <laughs> and, if you, and we know now there were always tricksters and people who were out yeah. also at night trying to play, you know, play the fool uh, to frighten people that they thought they could frighten. But by God, I met people that if you tried to frighten them at night, you would get, <laughs> get your comeuppance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they were those kind of people. Sensible people, too. People who, uh, who didn't necessarily believe in this kind of thing, but who mm, 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 e- had respect. K- k-
0: what story springs to mind that you've heard from someone that would seriously make you go, wow, there's something, something is happening here, and I can't explain it, or that would make you... The part of yourself you say that's open to the belief in the fairies, k- can you tell us a story where you're like, wow... That one changed my my mind.
1: My uncle was, I think, uh, a sound man, as we put it. He was the kind of man who would travel out at night playing cards. He was from Mount Collins. And uh, a couple of people here knew him well. The harness maker, (laughs) Bill Lenehan. And there was a track, a shortcut, to save you three miles walking. And there was a track between Mount Collins and Brosna. And I suppose Brusna, you see, was a bigger village. Mm-hmm. And maybe, I never asked Bill too much, but obviously, maybe there was better porter there. <laughs> but he was never a big drinker, Bill. Or maybe there was better company, or maybe there was a better game of cards, or what. I never asked him the reason why, but he used to go to Brusna, up this track, rather than going all round by the line, the, the cart line, which would be three miles. This would be a mile and a bit now this particular night he was coming back and bill knew as most other people knew that there in Cahar that there was a field that was supposed to be if you went into it at a certain hour of the night you weren't going to come out of it no there are fields like that in every county in ireland there's three of them in mount collins parish i know six of them here in clare if you go into them at night you are not going to come out of them they're not big fields they're not fields in a very, as we might say, Irgulda place. They are fields in very ordinary places. And there'd be a gate here. There'd be a gate there. This one, it, it was a very, very ordinary field, and it was on the path. But there was a particular time of night. If you went into it, you were not going to come out of it. And Bill told me he was coming back this particular night. He had been delayed in Bruston. He didn't tell me why. But he was coming on. He was alone. He was coming on. And he had just crossed over the hill, and all the rest of the path was down towards Mount Collins. And by the Lord, he was just about passing through the field and came to the ditch, came to the gate. Where am I? He could not get out of that field. And it wasn't a big field. And he could see the lights of Mount Collins below him. And he went here, and he went there, and he around and round the field. And no, that made no sense. And he said, to him it made no sense because there was Mount Collins below him. He was there two, two hours at least. And then, for no good reason, gone. He walked out of it and walked home. And I asked him, did it frighten you? And he said, it did. He admitted it. It did, he said. But there was nothing I could do, he said. There was not a bit I could do about it. But he had known about it before. He had heard from other people the same thing. And I asked him, of course, why did you come that way? Well, he said, very practical. I wasn't going to walk around the road three miles. I I was going to chance it. But he said, I picked the wrong night. But nothing happened to him. Nothing happened. He was none the worse for it. It was just that he was not going to get past that place at that time on that night. So, there are such places. Now, some people would tell you that if you turn your coat inside out, <laughs> you'll get the better of the fairies if tis them. Uh, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Because I know one man in Crusheen Parish that did that. <laughs> when, he, when he went into a field like that. He took his jacket off and put well, him inside out. It, it was a well-known thing. Yeah, That you'd fool the fairies. I don't. I do. How would you fool them? You're not going to fool them. <laughs> what about Eddie, though? I heard I heard
0: that uh, poutine makers, traditionally, if they had a child, if the child was a boy, they'd dress it as a girl, and if it was a girl, they'd dress it as a boy to confuse the fairies. Is, is that
1: something you've heard? Well, what, what poutine makers used to do was they'd always leave uh, the first few drops for the boys. <laughs> uh, to put the 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 gaugers, as they used to call them, astray. They to t- do the that, fa- to right. confuse the fairies? No, to to confuse the gaugers. Uh, the revenue, Who are the gaugers? The revenue men. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. All, they do that all right. But the other thing, you're nearly you're nearly on the ball there, all right. Because I knew a man above in Dublin one time, and he told me that genuine, genuine. He's dead now, God bless the man, but he said up to the age of about ten. His grandmother, she'd never let him out in the evening without doing two things. She'd make the sign of the cross on his forehead with piss. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know, it, it it might sound to us, what in the name of God, was she after escaping from the big house? But no, no, she was not because remember, according to the old people, and check it out with professional folklorists, according to the old people, the fairies were afraid of seven things. The seven things were something holy, and all religions remember have their holy things, something holy, something dirty, something red, the color of blood, because their, their blood is not red, it is greenish, palish, because they're not human, iron or steel, The thing, best thing to have if you meet the fairies is a black-handled knife, and they'll keep well away from you. Salt, fire, and if you haven't any of those six things, (laughs) well, (laughs) run, run. (laughs) But, But there's no point in running from them if you think you're going to get away from them by running. If you can make for flowing water, a stream, and get across it, they can't cross flowing water. Those seven things. Now you see, his grandmother knew that, and she was giving him double protection. Something holy, something dirty, piss. I'll tell you a story. I was playing cards. I well, do we have time?
0: We do, of course. Yeah. I'll
1: tell you. <laughs> now, I, I,
0: is it actually? I was going to give him an interval for it Do you need a piss and a pint? We'll give him an interval, Eddie, and we'll like, tell
1: this st- like like the pee, like the people. Okay, one more, and then you right, can have a pint. A, a very short, a very short one. It was from it was from Crosheen, and the man, again, God rest the man, is dead now, but he, again, I believed him. He told me that one night he was playing the old game, you know, they were playing the old game, Combs, uh, and they were going, I think they were in Duggan's, Pobins, Pencil Hill, and they were going home, uh, cycling, of course, and that particular night, one of them took the road left. Uh, 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 wherever he was going one of the partners, you know, there were three of them cycling home and one of them went this way and the other one went that way and he had about half a mile to cycle home uh, alone this particular night and on his way, he had to pass this fort now, he had passed it's still there, it's still there covered with old briars and bushes on his right hand side as he was coming home now, usually he'd have the second man with him, but the second man this particular night, he had gone off wherever he was going and so he was alone, at that little stretch of the road. So Brigard, he told me, and he admitted it, And a man you'd think no would be ashamed to admit this, but no, he said. He was a bit wary, passing the fort. So what did he do before he came to the fort? He got off the bike, threw the bike, there in the ditch, and into the field, uh, on the left-hand side, the fort was on the right, and just before he came to the fort, a bright night. And he uh, looked around until he found a cow dung. And he uh, dragged his two hands through the cow shit, out again, picked up his bike and cycled on past the fort. Now, I was listening to this, you know, I so said, yes, this was the man drunk, but I knew him, and he was to drink drinking man at all he'd have a couple of half pints where he'd be playing playing cards and that was all. He was uh, always like, it, that, like that. But anyway, he came home and put his bike into the shed and he uh, washed his hands inside an old water barrel there in a beside the shed and tried them. And he went then and his wife would be waiting for him and they'd have a cup of tea and never said a word to her, went to bed. And uh, like that he said to me yeah, that that was that. And of course uh, I knew the reason why immediately. Yeah, Something dirty. He needed passing the fort. And once he had the coat shit in his hands, he felt the boys wouldn't interfere with him. If they did happen to, to take, a, take a fancy to a bit of sport tonight, he felt he was safe. So he believed in the boys there in the fort.
0: That's fucking unreal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say to it. Immediately, when I'm hearing the story, all I'm thinking of is uh, British soldiers who used to occupy Ireland, and all of a sudden they're just meeting some man who's uh, after dragging his fist through cow shit. <laughs> just trying to understand like what, what did foreign people, a foreign force, make of people who found it perfectly logical to go, oh, I'm just
1: punching some cow shit because there's fairies in that field. <laughs> Well, i tell you, and it's a good note to finish on, as I say, British soldiers. Ask me, if, if, if I'm on the next half, about the tens. the tens. Oh, I'll be asking about I, the tans, I, I, I will.
0: I, I, you can be short of it, Eddie. <laughs> all right. We'll have an interval now of about 15 minutes, right? So you can go and get a pint and have a slash, all right? Thank you. Right, so we are going to have right now our little ocarina pause and then I'll be back on with Eddie in less than a minute for the second half of my chat with Eddie I hope you're enjoying it so here's the ocarina pause where an advert for something is going to go in and if you didn't hear an advert You just heard a beautiful ocarina.
2: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring
0: our prices down.
2: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com
0: slash host. So as you know, because I am a live performing artist, that side of my career has been taken away. Uh, I've lost a big load of gigs and my sole source of income is now this podcast the patreon page right patreon.com forward slash the blind buy podcast so that's my sole source of income that's what i have to pay my bills if you're in a position where you can afford the price of a pint cup of coffee a fucking a couple of extra snacks on your grocery bill if you can afford that once a month that's all it is once a month please do support this podcast because i need it now more than i've ever needed it before because it's my sole source of income if i don't have the patreon i don't earn money and just look just consider it look if you're listening to the podcast and you're enjoying it and you're getting an hour each week then just pay me for the work that i'm putting into it that's all i'm asking pay me for the work that i'm putting into it it's hugely appreciated it makes a difference if you can't i don't want to be fucking guilting you all right don't worry about it. But if you can, please price of a pint or a cup of coffee if, if that's alright with you. Also you can support Eddie, buy one of Eddie's books. Eddie has a load of books. Eddie Linehan has a shit ton of books. I think them might I think he has a website and they're on that. But you check him out, buy some of Eddie's books and support him that way, alright? Let's get back to the chat. It's very enjoyable. I like it. Um Eddie so before we had the break there, you said you wanted to tell us something about the blackened hands. They That wasn't
1: half as bad as that painted. God. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yes, would you believe? And I'll tell you a story. An old woman in West Clare, she said to me, excuse me, that when she was a young girl, She died not so long ago the house was thatched and in christmas of 1920 there was a uh, there was a a curfew of course and not a good time to be caught out outdoors well you wouldn't be because anything could happen to you but her father no it must have been her grandfather was out that night wherever he went maybe the man wanted a pint I, i don't know what but the house was thatched And her aunt, or probably her grand-aunt, it didn't matter, but the old woman in the house, she was doddery. And at Christmas, of course, at that time, there'd be candles in the window, real candles, not like today, where they're electric and probably a lot safer. But her mother and herself, she was a little girl, went to bed. And at some time of the night, the old woman got up. Whatever routing she was doing, Who knows? But she upset the candle in the window, and the curtains went up on fire. Now, luckily, the mother, she smelt the smoke and rushed down, but she couldn't put out the fire. The curtains had got up too much. And what were they going to do? Because it was a thatched roof, and that could have been, well, the old woman maybe at least could have been burned. The house would have gone up at the very least. And so she rushed out, rushed out, calling for help. Now, a dangerous thing to do in 1920. And what do you think she did? The barrack was only a short distance up. Up she ran to the barrack. And you now the black and tans as well as the RIC were inside. And she, help, help, help. Now, of course, the boys inside, and remember, they were all armed. At that time, they could have come out shooting, yeah. thinking that it was the IRA and that they were being attacked. But luckily, uh, the sergeant of the RIC inside, he opened the door a little bit, saw who it was and and one of them looked out saw the smoke and by god the old lady told me that the tens three or four of them out they came and there was no running water of course in those days but there was a big pool of water across the road ice on it it was very cold that december and with the butts of their rifles they broke the ice on the pool of water and they formed a bucket brigade and they put out fire. And she said she never forgot it for them. Now, she wasn't making little of what they did in other places because, remember, they burned in a stamen. And they burned Cork. They did. yeah. And and they cut the hoses in Cork when the firemen tried to put out the fire. Um,
0: Have you ever spoken to anyone who's seen a fairy? Of course I have. How did they just, like, because the thing is we were speaking a little bit backstage about uh, the concern that we have around, it it, it can be difficult for us to know the truth of our own folklore because around the time of the the Gaelic revival, the people who were writing the folklore, like Lady, Lady Gregory and things like that, they were trying to make us not look savage to the British because the British had an idea of us about being savages. And when I think of a fairy, I think of a little, small, cute thing with wings.
1: What does a fairy actually look like? Well, that uh, how that, big are they? That picture that you're describing there was <coughs> invented by the artist Arthur Rackham, you know of the ones with the curly tails and the pointy ears. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, in the Victorian age, I knew a man. He's only he did. I think about six six months, and he was a hundred. Mm-hmm. And he told me I knew him for thirty years. I think I have about a hundred and something hours of him recorded. An amazing man. And he told me he met them. I had no reason to disbelieve him, because I knew him very, very well. And my first question to him, of course, was, what they look like? And he made me a very interesting answer. (laughs) I asked him that question, and I remember his pause very well. And he said to me, the person sitting beside you could be one of them, and you wouldn't know it. A kind of frightening answer when you think about it. The person sitting beside you could be one of them, or standing beside you, and you wouldn't know it. They can take any shape they like. They can take animal shape, and when they they take an animal shape, just mainly the shape of something dark, like the black dog. A big, big dog without a white hair on him, from the tip of his tail to the tip of his puss. And most dogs have, black dogs have some white hair or another somewhere. But when the fairies take the shape of a black dog, no white hair whatsoever. So they take an animal shape, they take a human shape, they can take any shape. They're shapeshifters. So and what, what, what does a fairy look like when it's not nice
0: pretending to be a dog? <laughs> <laughs> no, but th- you know what I mean? If I know what you
1: mean. I know. They are, look, they are what they are, they're themselves. And they mind their own business, if you mind yours. But if you don't, you're in big trouble. If you build a house on a fairy path, for example, that's why you'll see perfectly, perfectly good houses sometimes. I've seen them. And you'll ask yourself, why is that house ab- abandoned? No, there could be 10 other reasons. It might be family trouble. It might be legal trouble. It might be God only knows what. But there are some times. I've been told quietly because people don't necessarily want to tell because that house might want to be sold. I wouldn't sell a house like that because you're putting your troubles onto somebody else and I know a house I know a house that has been sold on once, twice, three times, four times because it was built on a path. And sadly that house the path was right through the middle of it. And the middle room of that house, you'd walk into it, and this is with the heat turned on, a newish house, this now. And that house, you would freeze in that room, just like walking into an iceberg. Because
0: my buddy who we were talking to backstage, Keane, he told me a story before about a friend of his who had a house somewhere in Clare, and he was about to cut down a tree in the house, and you arrived at his door warning him about this tree and he didn't listen to you and I I, I believe you said something to him about a bull or something and then as soon as he cut the tree down, his house kept birds kept crashing into the window non-stop and then one day he woke up and there was a bull in the garden (laughs) and this is just a story that my buddy has about, I said oh, I'm, I'm talking to a fella called Eddie Lenahan oh he arrived at my friend's house and warned him about a bull and then a bull showed up
1: I don't remember, to be quite honest, no, I don't remember, but people it, it do does, Is
0: that a, a, a... Does it happen a lot in your life where you find yourself knocking on someone's door and warning them about cutting down a tree or warning them about something because of your knowledge of the area?
1: I would never go to anybody's house. Uh, normally people would come to me. Okay. Or send me an email or... You, look, you would be amazed in this day and age, 2020, the number of people who are very worried about this, that, or the other thing, but are afraid to say it because they're afraid they'll be laughed at. Mm-hmm. Pishogs are a case in point. What is a pishog? That Pishogs was Pishogs are where people try to wish other people evil, to take away their good look, to have that good look for themselves. A very human thing. A very human thing, and it's known on the five continents. It's known under different names. In, in, in another place, it might be known as voodoo. Here in Ireland, it's known as pishogs. People are jealous. Uh, It's all based on the notion of there's only a certain amount of good luck to go around. If you have more, I might have less. So I'll steal your good luck in order to have more for myself. It's a very dirty, So is is a
0: pishog something you can cast upon someone, like a spell? Yes. How do you do that? How do I do a pishog on on Breddy?
1: Any... Any... (laughs) Any of the old people, when people, was, when people weren't so goddamn lazy that they used to set gardens, if you found raw meat in your garden, if you found eggs in your hay, uh, you could nearly believe that you weren't going to have much of a crop that year. Uh, your crops, the way it worked was, as the eggs in your hay rotted, your crops rotted. As the raw meat in your garden rotted, Your crops, there might be spuds, there might be turnips, there might be carrots, whatever. Your crops rotted also. Now, what kind of a person would do that? Yeah. Evil-minded. There was a great priest here in the Franciscans one time that people used to bring their stuff to when that happened. And he'd handle it for you. People usually had great faith in the Franciscans. People used to come,
0: so if, if a person felt that a pishog had been done against them, they would go to the priest.
1: The Franciscans especially. Because the Franciscans would what never what take What were common things,
0: other than meat and, and eggs, what else might... What would someone find that would make them believe that someone's putting a pishog on them?
1: The leavings when a cow would calf.
0: But what's that, like a, a cow's umbilical cord? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It should be always something that wouldn't be... maybe very pleasant. Yeah. Because what was happening would not going to be very pleasant. And the kind of mentality uh, of person who was doing it wouldn't be very pleasant, and isn't. But there was always a remedy. There was always a remedy. And the thing about Pishogs was that it could be turned back against the person who was doing it. Like most magic, magic is a bad kind of thing. But if you met the person who, was, who, was, who had a charm against it and went to them they could turn it back on the person who was doing it and the old people knew that it was always three times worse if it went back against the person who was doing it so you were were playing with fire by working pishogs
0: Were there ever any people Eddie who were seen as having a natural ability to cast pishogs on people and they were feared like an evil eye almost
1: Oh yes Oh God yes, certain families were supposed to have the evil eye what, what is the evil eye? It was the. It was, if they looked at you, that could bring sickness on you. Now, the terrible tragedy about the evil eye was that the families, some families who had it, couldn't do anything about it. So it was seen as an awful scourge because you could be born with the evil eye and. You know, it was. Would you like, if you were one of those families and you were born with it and could do nothing about it, people would be keeping out from you mm-hmm. through no fault of your own?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. Now, you can say that, oh, that is nonsense, superstition, but... So I've always said, and I still stand by it, The old people, the old people were not stupid. They weren't stupid. They handled in their way the things, the problems that were thrown up against them. We're, uh, we're trying to handle in our way the problems that face us, but when something big that we're not expecting comes our way, we're as befuddled as they were. Mm-hmm. You see, we've become very complacent because of all the, the, the machinery, I call it, you know, the beep-beep-beep-beep-beep-beep-beep we have. But by God, they are only ways of communicating. It's the people behind those. Uh, we're still only people. Yeah. We're still only people. We forget that.
0: Um, Can you tell us a little bit about leprechauns? Because the thing with leprechauns, I only know about leprechauns from American films. And I know nothing about actual leprechauns.
1: I went recently to a school, a primary school, which I often do under the Writers in School scheme, you know, from the Arts Council, which is a wonderful scheme because it allows small country schools to get. Something that they otherwise wouldn't be able to afford, whereas big schools can. And I asked, since you bring it up, uh, who has heard of a leprechaun now? And what answer did I get? Uh, A leopard! A leopard! They had had never heard of a leprechaun. The children had never heard of a leprechaun? Never heard of a leprechaun. And you, I think, mentioned it, by the way, earlier on about our tradition our tradition is really declining, declining, declining under the influence of, you see, our problem is we're a little fat of a country. Uh, Yeah, we are. Uh, We're a pimple on the ass of Europe. (laughs) <laughs> no, we, no, we are, we, we, we put ourselves out as something important, and we're not, we're, we're, we're a population of a half a city in Europe, a mm-hmm. third of a city in Europe, and we're the ones who should be trying, trying, trying to preserve our traditions, and what are we doing? We're selling ourselves to America on one side, England on the other, and we don't seem to care. We're, we're squeezed, and we're like a sponge. Every bit of our tradition is being squeezed out of us, and we love it. We love it. We, lo- we, we would prefer to be, what do you call the whole train engine, Tommy the tanker, or Peeper the Fool, or Peeper the Gun, whatever. I do know what they are. And, and we don't mind our own traditions. I'm not, have the other ones, too. But have, I was over in East Clare not so long ago. Not so far from where Biddy Early was born, lived her life and did all those wonderful things that she did for people and was so famous. Biddy Early is... No That's what
0: I want to ask you about, Biddy Early. Who no, uh, Someone on, on the internet asked me to ask you about her, but they described her as a witch.
1: No, she was a Ban Fassa, a woman of knowledge. Uh, the most famous woman of knowledge, Ban Fassa, of the 19th century in Ireland. And not one of the children knew about her not one of the children knew about her and i think that is a shameful thing that is a shameful thing in county clare that of the most famous woman in county clare and you'll go to any corner of ireland and all you need to do is mention biddy early now they may not know many of the stories about her but they know her name and here's a new generation coming up and they don't know about biddy early I think that's shocking.
0: I don't... Like, ultimately, it comes down to... So, anytime I would have learned a little bit about folklore as a child, it wasn't from the curriculum. It was from a particular teacher who had the passion to I decide suppose. to tell us. I suppose. So, if the children aren't learning that, it means that the parents and the teachers don't consider it... Worthwhile. Worthwhile. And for me, like... Like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's, I find it really sad that we've lost parts of our folklore because it had to be sanitised so the British didn't think we were savages. And, like, I, I just... We should be trying to find as much stuff about Irish culture and folklore as possible to get a good sense of who we are, our sense of values and our identity, you know?
1: Well, look, it's like this. I spend most of my time now. I'm kept busy all the time. I could be going eight days a week, but I don't. I refuse many things now anymore because I have five books to write. Mm-hmm. Five. I have a second volume of that Meeting the Other Crowd, which is now in its 13th edition, and it's in, you can get it in Japanese if you want How to. many
0: books have you written, Eddie?
1: 21. Fucking hell. 21. And, and well, no, but that's, that isn't a boast. I wish to God I had more. And there is plenty more in the amount of stuff that I have at home, uh, on record, uh, on tape, and MD, and the rest of it. But they take time. A book takes time, as you well know, time to write, and you need level space and yeah. quietness in front of you. Yeah. And I'm constantly being interrupted to do sessions, which is great. It's wonderful to be asked, but... I've had to refuse, and I'll refuse more. Look, I'm 70. I'm 70. God blast it. I mean, I have only so many. Uh, my my mother died at the age of 49. My father died at the age of 66. <laughs> I, I'm i I'm older than they ever were. So I don't know how long more I live, but geez, if I if I get 10 more years out of this life, I, I'm privileged, more than privileged. Uh, I'm the oldest of... Well, no, I'm not. My, my aunt, my father's sister this year, she's 100, 100 this year, and she's still playing cards and she'd like a little drop of whiskey, but she's the last, she's the last of all the family, though.
0: Do you have any um, apprentices as such? Do you have anyone younger who you are no. trying to pass things on to or you're no. hoping that will continue the work that you're doing?
1: No, not my business. I'm often asked that not my business at all. My business is to just collect as much as I can and tell the stories as best I can, and i I tell them for the for the in the honor and for the honor of the people I collected them from, because as long as I can tell their stories, they're not dead. Mm-hmm. They're not dead because I don 't tell any stories from books. I tell the stories I collected from all those people down the years and at least we'll all be dead long enough and they're not dead while I'm able to tell their stories.
0: Do do you feel that um, almost on a government level, do you have the resources to, to do what you need to do? Do you feel that what you're doing is respected by the state? No. Not at all, no?
1: I never had the resources. Every bit of the collecting I did came out of my pockets. That's why when all is finished, I feel that I should donate all my work if my son doesn't want it to some American university.
0: Do you think the Yanks will give it more respect? Oh, absolutely, absolutely,
1: yeah. because nobody has ever shown any bit of interest in my collection, and that collection is worth millions. In another sense, it is worth nothing. Yeah. It's well, if you're not interested in a thing, it's worth nothing. But in another sense, it is priceless because if, if, well. If I hadn't recorded it, all those stories would be in graveyards.
0: Yeah. What, what what out of your collection, Eddie? What do you What do you value the most? What what uh, recordings do you have that? Are, that are
1: That's a very hard question to answer. But one of the one of the ones I remember every night, and I say a prayer for the man, and I do pray, I do pray, because some of those people were so so good to me when they sat down. I noticed. relief to them too just to have somebody to listen to their stories but they were so generous to me uh, to give their stories and never to ask anything for them because i suppose you don't but uh, i remember the first book i ever got published long ago by shannon side it was out there in the mental hospital a patient in the mental hospital out the road there in ennis here he was a wonderful man and I remember going into that place and looking at all the people walking up and down and up and down those long corridors, which is ruined now, which is ruined, and I have nowadays I have, I have mixed feelings about it, because in all of those mental hospitals around Ireland, and most county towns had one, mostly named after saints, Mm -hmm. Our ladies, uh, St. Brendan's in Killarney, the one in Cork, St. Finian's, I think. And very imposing buildings, all of them were. They were like jails, of course, and they were. But when they were all closed uh, under our enlightened new legislation, so many of the patients were let out. But nothing was done for them when they were let out. While they were in those places... Uh, All right, they were hidden away, yes, but they were a kind of a family at least in those places. Mm -hmm. Now, I know a lot of them had become institutionalized in those places, but they were a kind of family and they were cared for. Sometimes it was a cruel kind of a care, but when they were let out, I think a lot of our homelessness today. Maybe is accounted for by the neglect that some of those people uh, came under when they were let out of places like that because they weren't cared for afterwards.
0: Well, you know, there definitely is today a a huge amount of people who are homeless who also have mental illnesses. You know, I know that. Well, there I
1: go. They would have been cared for in places like that.
0: Well, it 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 depends. Like, I mean,
1: it's a a complex thing. I know. It is.
0: It's a very complex thing. Mm. Um. What, what could you explain to us? What were changelings? What was the fear that people had around changelings and things like that?
1: A mother thorn was a changeling, and the fairies, the fairies, you know that. Uh, well, you see, it's there's an awful lot of logic about fairy stories, and the fairies who were there. What the the Thuhideh Danan and all that. I never collected any stories about the fairies being the Thuhideh Danan, but what I did collect was that the fairies... You see, some of these stories are very funny because when you were around the fire long ago at night, no television, no electricity, you had to be able to tell a story mm-hmm. or sing a song or recite or play a tune or dance a step. If you couldn't, it was a case of out, go mm-hmm. home. You're only taking up space. <laughs> well. As as one old man said to me, you'll be caught by the scruff of the neck and the hasp of the arse and out the door, go (laughs) ahead, shag off, you're not needed here. Uh, Nowadays, you see, you're going to a place and nobody has time for you because everybody is gawking at the box. Uh, People have turned into fools. Long ago, everybody had to be able to do something and tell a story. And one storyteller would be vying with the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one or whatever. Now, one of the stories was how did the fairies come to be. Now, I won't tell it, it's too long. But the story, to make it short, was that they were the angels in heaven. And Mm -hmm. Lucifer was the bright one and he was the one who was watching God and God in his golden seat. And Lucifer, of course, mm -mm -mm, he'd love to be in that seat uh, looking down at where we are now. So he bided his time. And as the storyteller had it, God is like everyone else. He has to go out to the, <coughs> the back place too. <laughs> 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 Tachanassil, as they call it in Connemara. And one of these times, when God went out to the back place, uh, Lucifer jumped up into his seat, the golden chair, and the crowd below, well, whoever was in the golden chair you know, had to be adored, you know, and they were there bowing down and bowing down ah lucifer this is the place why didn't they do this before but he had forgotten one thing one thing even bright people can be very stupid at the time but he had forgotten god would be coming back (laughs) and when god came in the back door you know from the place outside you know pulling up his trousers and when he saw who was in his chair lost his temper and he (coughs) clapped his hands and the floor of heaven opened, and down went the golden chair, you know, And gold is very heavy, down it went, and Lucifer in it, you know, ah, down, down, and not just Lucifer, but all those around him, thousands of them, thousands, down there went like the stars of heaven, but, but luckily, lucky, lucky for all of us, <laughs> Michael the archangel, he was over in the corner, making the tea, <laughs> <laughs> And he was standing on a rafter <laughs> and he saw what was going on, and he said to God, Master, Master, he says, Do something quick, or we'll be here alone. Oh, you're right, says God, and he clapped his hands again, and immediately everything froze. But, of course, it was too late, it was too late, far, far, <laughs> the bright one, the bright one, Lucifer. He had fallen with the chair, of course, down, down, down into the pit, the dark place, and the ones nearest to him. But he could fall no farther. but the ones that were still falling, they stopped. And, well, the ones who were falling through the air... That was all right. They today are known as the air fairies. And the ones that had fallen to earth into the fairy forts and all the rest of it, they today are called the earth fairies. And the ones that had fallen to water, lakes, rivers, seas, they today are called the water fairies. But the ones below, they're the devils. Now, the fairies in all their varieties, they'll do you no harm if you don't interfere with them. But the devils, they will because they know what they have lost they know that they have lost heaven forever and that's how our ancestors used to distinguish for themselves between the devils and the fairies Now they weren't educated people they weren't book people but they were very curious people and and you see they had to keep themselves happy at night around the fire by telling stories and that was one of the stories they told and the other thing about them was they had a sense of humor about their own religion and isn't it an awful pity today that people haven't the same sense of humor about religion our ancestors like i said before they weren't stupid people so that was one of the stories that was one of the stories that they told about the devils and the fairies and religion how the fairies can't be and it explains also why the fairies have no red blood. Their blood is greenish because they weren't human, and it explains what you asked about changelings. They want to get back into heaven, because they know what heaven is like, the joys of heaven. But they can't. The only ones that can get into heaven are human beings, if they behave themselves. And human beings have red blood, and these fairies, these, these fairies of whatever, the fairies included of course, they know that if they can steal a human child and get a little bit of that blood, they might be able to come to the gates of heaven and fool St. Peter or whoever is in charge. It'll never work of course, but if you're desperate enough, you'll chance anything. And that's the reason the old people always had for the fairies trying to steal a person. Young person, a lovely-looking young woman, a little child, as a moloton, a, a changeling. So, and and would
0: the would would they, the fairies take the child or take the the woman, and would they leave another thing in in its place? That's
1: right. And as the thing they left then faded away, faded away, and withered away, they had the real thing then. Now, practical modern people will say, of course. Oh, that was TB. Oh, that was cancer. And the old people didn't understand what cancer was, that, you know, a person withered up and withered away. But that's what the old people believed. Is, I heard the phrase, um, do you know the way we say, if, if someone has
0: mental illness, someone would say they're away with the fairies?
1: Yes. That yes. It,
0: it's to say that if a person developed mental illness, that, that wasn't the person, that person was a changeling, and your real relative is away with the fairies in a forest, and they've left behind this person who has mental illness.
1: I suppose, well, people, you see, will always look for explanations. Yeah. No matter what. People look for explanations. And um, I heard
0: that the changeling thing, it's, there was just a huge amount of infant mortality. There was that too. In Ireland, yeah. and it was a way to go, that's not your child, that's a changeling.
1: Well, no, you talk about uh, hu- huge in- infant mortality. I heard the story from an old man, a most pathetic story, an interesting story, and you know yourself a fairy bush, like the one down mm-hmm. there, a schach, mm-hmm. a lone white thorn bush. And a-, a lone white thorn bush? Oh, it has to be a lone white thorn bush. Yeah. That's a schach, a fairy bush. But, you know, in the bad old days, when children, unbaptized children, and suicides, and strangers, couldn't be buried in a local graveyard. Yeah. Now, you can understand the strangers, because they had no grave, mm-hmm. so they had to be buried someplace. And they used to be buried in what's known as Cailines, or Cailinachs, these little lonesome burial grounds out in the land. You look at your Ordnance Survey maps, and you'll see they're in every single parish in Ireland, and some of, sometimes two or three of them. And you go to them, and they're lonesome places, because all that's there is you'll see the little field stones stuck Mm -hmm. down over the little bodies of these children. And I've questioned old people, and it's a very sad thing to find that old people sometimes know their little brother or sister Mm -hmm. who died, maybe, maybe they were stillborn, or died two or three days after birth, and not baptized for whatever reason, and had to be taken away, maybe in a cloth, in the dead of night, to that place and just buried there and a stone put down over them like you'd bury a dog and they knew the name of the little child Mm -hmm. the child might have been named not baptised yet and you think to yourself wasn't it bad enough for a mother and father to lose a child without having to bury the child in such a place without any ceremony by night Mm -hmm. but I was told by one particular man well, he knew, he knew that his little brother was buried there. But another member of the family, he said, no. He said, no. There was another child, yes, but they didn't bury the child there. They buried the child under a shkakh, a white thorn bush. And I said, what? I had never heard this before. But of course, the reason was obvious. It only struck me afterwards, the reason was obvious. It was the safest possible place to bury a child. It was like having a headstone over the child because nobody was going to interfere with a fairy bush. To bury the little child under a fairy bush, it was the perfect place to bury him. Mm -hmm. Because what more secure place could you have than that? Now, the other thing it shows is that in Ireland, under Catholic tradition, there was no contradiction whatsoever between religion and the fairies. The two things fitted quite together, which is not true with Protestant tradition mostly. Protestant
0: tradition. Yeah, because what I, m- I meaning to ask Eddie was like, how did Irish people maintain these traditions and beliefs about things that are outside of Christianity? How, how did that... How did it work? Were the priests tolerant of it? Did the priests speak about fairies? No. I never came
1: across that. Because priests knew that if they condemned the fairies, the congregation would, you know, very interesting. And they would go right on doing and believing what they believed anyway. Mm -hmm. And, And priests knew that, and they never, I never heard of a priest preaching against the fairies. And, of course, the reason was obvious. Pri- priests came from a background that knew very well uh, about all this belief. Now, priests didn't come from your ordinary background, remember? Mm-hmm. Priests came from a rich farmer background yeah. or a professional background because it took seven years, remember, to put somebody through college, through manhood to yeah. be a priest. Whereas a man in a cottage never became a priest. He was only coming, scraping by from, from day to day, trying to feed his yeah. family. It took seven years to put a priest to college and you had to be rich to do that but priests didn't preach against the fairies because they knew very well people would take no notice they preached against sex they preached against sin they preached against immorality they preached against this that and the other but i never heard of a preach, preaching uh, they preached against pishogs of course vehemently but not against, against
0: performing pishogs
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And certain parishes were noted for pishogs. And the funny thing is, this is a strange thing, parishes that were noted for pishogs were also noted for having very many priests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Why that is, I do not know, but that is true. Maybe one thing balanced out, another. um, There's no hint that the priests had anything to do with the pishogs, but as if right, balanced out wrong. It's a funny, funny, strange thing. Odd, very odd.
0: Um, What would you recommend people do to maintain, to to gain knowledge in in, in our our folklore, our tradition, Uh, like the average person, so that we don't lose it, so that we don't have a situation where you're going into a school and and there's kids who've never heard of a a leprechaun?
1: Oh, boy, that's a good question. Like, where are
0: the resources? Obviously, there's your own books. But for anyone listening here who wants to learn about this, what resources are there if, if they don't have an old person to talk to?
1: And, and, and I'll tell you this, uh, it's very little use telling young children now go home and talk to your parents because the parents don't know. Yeah. And I mean that without any disrespect. And very often the grandparents don't know. It was the generation before that knew mm-hmm. because... The the book that I mentioned to you, that I'm meeting the other crowd, which is all my interviews with the fairies in their own words, because they're off of my recordings. I let them speak for themselves. If I tried to do that
0: now, wait, you interviewed
1: fairies? No, the people. Oh, who, the, yeah, okay. The people who, <laughs> <laughs> no, the people, the people who gave me the stories about them. Yeah, I'm very well able to tell them they were. I just let them, let them tell their own stories. And if I tr- tried to do that now, I wouldn't be able to do it. Why? Because the stories are gone.
0: The stories are gone.
1: You'll only get little rags and pieces of stories now, rather than the long stories that are in that book.
0: Did you ever meet someone who claimed
1: to be a fairy? No. No. And if I did, I'd say, you're only talking nonsense. <laughs> No, because like I said to you before, I'd be as skeptical as anybody else. And I'd always try to look for an ordinary explanation for things, first, second, third. Genuinely, I, w- I would try not to believe, rather than to believe. And lots of people that I meet and who meet me think, oh, gee, she believes living. Oh. <laughs> not so, not so, not so at all. And I hope that's the reason why that book meeting the other crowd has stood the test of time so far, and will, I hope, sell on and on. It's now in its mm-hmm. 13th edition and I hope it will reach 50 editions. Because remember, they're not my stories. They're, I let the old people tell the stories for themselves. And the same is true about, about the book about Biddy Early. Let the people tell the stories themselves.
0: Um, can you give us an example of uh, any time you've, you've warned someone not to cut down a tree or, or interfere with a fairy thing and, and they haven't listened to you and things have gone wrong for them?
1: The problem is, you see, in a case like that, you can give the advice, and very often people don't come back. You don't see them again. Mm-hmm. It's, like col- it's like students from ITs. They come to me all the time. <laughs> I help them as much as I can, but you never hear anything more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you never hear anything more from them, which is a pity, because I've often said what they should t- teach students at college is a bit of courtesy also a little thank you you goes a long way thank you goes a long way because those people that I have uh, recorded down the years many of those people I have been later with right to their hospital beds when they come to die Mm -hmm. If you you become one of the family Mm -hmm. you can't just say like a lot of television people do here I am, tell me the story, here we are important people and bye bye yeah, I have met some of the most stupid television people that I'll tell you ever. They mm-hmm. think the world revolves around them. It doesn't. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. They're there to fill a space. But when you meet some of the old people that I have met, I, I, you know, you have to stay with them. I have known some of these people for at least thirty years, and they are some of them, not all, but some of them. They are fountains of knowledge, and when they give you that knowledge, you have to be with them right up. I, as I say, have been with them on the day they died.
0: How, how um, even when you were starting off, how do you find these? If you were to travel the country, what would you have done to get to an area and try and find out who is the old person that I should talk to who has stories? Like, how, how were you doing that?
1: You tend to go from one person recommending you to the other. It used to be the case that the local priest or the local guard was good, but that's all gone. Because Mm -hmm. with the closure of local guard stations, you can't do that anymore. With the scarcity of priests, you can't do that anymore. Now you can be landed, and I very often am in a strange town with time to kill, And I'd say, look, I'm here. I might as well try to find somebody who will talk to me, because I always take my recording equipment with me. And very often nowadays, they're so small that uh, they're taking up no great space. And I find that I can find nobody at all. And nowadays, the difference is, one time you could walk into any house, and there was an open door. Mm -hmm. That day is gone. That day is gone in Ireland because of all the blackguardism that's going on in countryside. Old people being attacked for no good reason. Mm-hmm. Ireland is not the friendly country it once was. Mm-hmm. It's a sad thing to say, but thuggery and blackguardism has spread out into country places that never experienced it before. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, of course, is that you can travel miles and miles and miles in the countryside today and never meet a single human being.
0: Yeah. Everybody's it, it, walking. It, did it used to not be like that?
1: No, oh, no. Oh, God, no. People had the leisure to talk to you. When I was walking down through the West Clare Railway, I, I walked every every footstep of the 58 miles of that in order to do the, the, the book in the tracks of the West Clare Railway. And people had time and leisure to talk to you and point out to you about this castle and that blessed well and who used to live in that house, an old ruined house here, maybe or that house there or go talk to him now and he'll talk to you or she'll talk to you. All gone. All gone. And of course that's what makes it so easy for the gangs now. They can go to this house empty 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 and it's so easy to rob places now mm-hmm. because there's nobody at home
0: um, I'm going to open up questions now to the audience right there's going to be a microphone flying around and you can ask questions about absolutely anything can we have the house lights up a tiny bit there you go
2: I just <laughs> wanted to ask about um, banshees or have you any belief in them or stories about them
1: there are several sp- uh, stories about the Banshee in the book. The black uh, I always call it the Black Book, meeting the other crowd. The Banshee, remember, most people hear the Banshee. But I have met a couple of people who saw the Banshee. And she, according to the descriptions I have had of her, is tall, thin woman, gray-haired. Um, one, as one old man described her, like the Statue of Liberty, tall, thin, but very distinguished-looking. He said he met her going to the fair of Got one night. He was going to buy cattle at the November fair in Got. Well, he, he was cycling. He met her, and he, she was a woman. He he said he didn't know for a start. Who would be there at that? He, he, it was about one o'clock in the morning because he had to cycle all the way to Got, and he wanted to be there early for the fair. And who would she be? Because she was just sitting there. There'd be no woman there at that hour of the night sitting where she was sitting. And then he was past her when the wailing, the crying started. Well, he said his blood literally ran cold. It was. He found it had to describe the wail. You'd often hear people describing the banshee as it could be a fox, it could be a hare. You know, it would take a country person to describe the kind of cries that these animals can make sometimes. Especially a hare seemingly can be lonesome. But he had seen this woman and next thing the crying crying started, he said, it frightened the living life out of him. And sure enough, the person was dead the following morning. So, he saw her, he said, he saw her, and he said he wouldn't want to see anything like that again. And he was definite, he was definite. But I only heard about two other descriptions of people seeing her. I've had dozens of descriptions of people hearing her. But seeing and hearing, that was one of the few.
0: Is the banshee a fairy, Eddie? Bam,
1: she, bam combination of the two Irish words, ban, woman, she, the Irish word for the fairies, the she. Okay. S-I-D-H-E, the she.
0: Um, are there any other notable fairies? Like as in, okay, the ban, she is one, but are there any other ones that like have a name and are a thing?
1: Oh yeah, the, the leprechaun is just a combination of the two Irish word, words, loo, corpón, leprechaun, 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 con
0: Are leprechauns, are they evil, small, are small, they bad? No, bad.
1: Neither He's the fellow who makes the shoes. He makes the very shoes? Yeah, he's the. I mean, well. Okay. I mean, they, they have to have shoes as well. Look, every single thing that we do, they do. They play huddling, they play football, they don't play soccer, they don't play rugby. <laughs> well, well, you see, they couldn't because they are two imported games. And the fairies are utterly and utterly Irish. Uh, so I mean soccer and rugby are just forget about limerick, that's all yeah. <laughs> here. No but you see they're, they're Has anyone
0: ever seen a Harlan match between fairies? <laughs>
1: <laughs> now listen, I, I, thanks for reminding me, I knew, I knew I knew a man again, he's not dead that long and he said, that at that time, you say everybody went out and could uh, visiting at night because, look, would you be staying at home looking at the four walls when there was no television or radio? You visited your neighbours. And he was living in about two fields from this old couple. They were living alone, they had no family, all the more reason for visiting him. And it was a case of take the shortcut or go around by the road. Now, if the weather was bad, he'd come around by the road, you know, to spare his boots, but if the weather was dry, he'd, he'd take the shortcut. And this particular night, lovely moonlit night, he took the shortcut down by the gable of the cow shed, into the yard and in, like he used to often do, many, many of the time. But he told me, this particular night, he did that, that's that. They had the cup of tea and they chatted chat about you know, the game of huddling, the price of cattle, the usual things you talk about. But it came time for going home and they'd normally go away about 11 o'clock they wouldn't stay late at all and he was just about to go when the man of the house said to him stay he said stay have another cup of tea oh god he said no i have to be up early in the morning but the man of the house tried to persuade him look look another cup of tea won't you any harem no 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 he insisted he had to go they couldn't hold him he went as far as the door and the man of the house only said to him you might be back which oh, what back it here he'd be back tomorrow night maybe and out he went, good night, God bless and he took the short cut the way he had come out by the gable of the cow shed but he told me he had only just gone beyond the gable now he said there was a small little hill on his left hand side, small little hill mm-hmm. he'd only just gone beyond the gable when he had the shouting and he had the, you know, the, poking, the poking of the ball like uh, like a huddling match. And of course he said, Jesus, who's playing a game of huddling at this old the night? Maybe a quarter past eleven? And he was, he, he was wondering, was he hearing things? But there was the shouting and the, the crowd cheering and the poking of the ball. And Jesus, he says, he must see this. And he took a few steps forward and suddenly a hand laid on his chest, you know, Mm -hmm. And, no, a big man. But he stumbled back, of course, like when you wouldn't be expecting something like that. He caught him unawares and he stumbled back and got his balance and uh, took a few more steps forward. But what if he did? Hand laid solid on his chest. There was nothing there that he could see. Nothing that he could see but the hand laid on his chest and held him there. He couldn't move. He couldn't move. And the game still going on and the shouting and the poking of the ball... But, by God, he said it was time to turn. He was going no place anywhere. He turned around, he told me, and back to the door, lifted the latch and walked in. And there was the old man and the old woman sitting in the hob. And <laughs> the man of the house, when he smiled, <laughs> he said, you came back. He closed the door behind him and he sat down. I wonder what word out of him. But the old man said to his wife, make a drop of tea there for the man. And she did, she did. You know, the old black kettle would be always in the boil that time over the fire. And she made a cup of tea for him. And he was still, still quiet. But the man of the house only leaned over.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well?
1: they're playing their game and he said they don't want any witnesses stay no, he said for a while and you can go away when they're finished and they drank like their tea and they chatted about this and about that but he, he was very quiet but after a while anyway the man of the house he looked up at the clock and he says I said they're finished No, he says you could be going <laughs> but he went outside the door he told me and he was there wondering would he go around by the road or would he go the shortcut and he said i went by the shortcut he said i had to because if i didn't he said i'd never go that way again and i went nothing nothing no noise the game was over and i went home he says and and he said I was very glad to get home that night. But he said I was not going anywhere. They were playing their game and like the man of the house said to me, they wanted no witnesses. So <laughs> what do you know? Um, fucking
0: hell. <laughs> um <laughs> um alright thank you very much for listening to that I hope you enjoyed it ladies and gentlemen that was another pleasure for me um, an area that I'm hugely interested in and it was just incredible to be able to speak to and record Eddie Eddie Lenehan, a uh, legend of a man thanks to Eddie for doing that I'll catch you next week alright I'm going to be back next week with I don't know some boiling hot takes look after yourself be compassionate to yourself be compassionate to whoever you're living with at the moment, alright? Yart.